that's probably the one thing I tell everyone is that um, we're operating in a world that the only thing that is consistent is change. And you got to continue to be operating in a world that everything is changing and it's changing rapidly. Welcome to the Balancing Act Podcast. I'm Andy Tempty, and today we've got John Staten, who is President and Chief Operating Officer at Holiday Inn Club Vacations. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me. It's been a while, so I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Yeah, for, for our audience members, uh, John and I used to work together at Kaplan, uh, which uh, a lot of a lot of our guests uh, lately have been from Kaplan. Uh, but Kaplan's been such a such a wonderful uh, you know seating place, if you will. Uh, folks from Kaplan go all over the world, and uh, I, I I couldn't be prouder to have uh, worked for that organization. Just in the fact that uh, all all the wonderful people that you and I have run across over the years and where they've all gone in their careers. Uh, and I'm especially proud of, uh, of what you've been able to do. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Today, we're going to continue our series on this lightning rod question, nobody wants to work anymore. Now, this is, uh, this is episode five in this series. Uh, so you, you know that the underlying tone here is to talk about changing attitudes uh, toward the, the, the self and uh, our work. So that that's really uh, what we're talking about. John brings a unique perspective to the conversation through his work in both the education industry and now in the hospitality industry. So we're going to explore the nuance that lies behind this potentially polarizing and frankly black and white assessment of today's market for talent. But before we get started, it'd be great, John, if you Include our listeners into your story. Oh, my story. <laughs> uh, you know, my story is, uh, I think, a little different than most people's career path. My uh, story is one that has given me the opportunity to play in multiple industries. You know, I, um, so at first I would start off with, I'm a, I'm a native Floridian. So I was born and raised and I've stayed in the state of Florida my entire life. Went to University of Florida. After that, um, I joined Deloitte. So I was in the... Uh, accounting uh, side of the house and did some consulting with Deloitte for a number of years. And then after that, I uh, got into uh, technology, an IP telephony company, and then from there into an aviation, launched a new airline. And then from there, where you and I intersected, I uh, got an education at Kaplan. And after about nine and a half years there at Kaplan, uh, I'm now in hospitality. So it's very unique to find someone who's been in, I'll ignore, I will ignore Deloitte for a second but four distinct industries. And um, there is a level of, of um, commonality amongst those four. And it would be, um, number one, the, the importance of the customer. Number two, heavily regulated. All four of those industries are heavily regulated. And uh, number three is just what I'll call the importance of the customer being at the center of the universe for each of those. So I've, had a, uh, um, I've been doing this about 30 plus years. Uh, so that's where all the gray hair comes from and such, but it's, uh, that's my story. Yeah. So I, I really like this career arc because a lot of, uh, individuals go into accounting, uh, and, you know, finance and accounting and think that that's where you're going to stay. 
Uh, and your story, you know, started out as Deloitte at Deloitte in accounting, but you, you, you've moved and pivoted. So I, I just, I like this, you as an exemplar of the fact that your career arc can take all sorts of turns if, uh, you know, if you let it, if you let it happen. So, uh, uh particularly proud of you. What's one event in your life that was just a key accelerant to your career, a a person, a mentor, a, a situation, what would that be? I would say that when I was at Deloitte, I, um, I enjoyed my experience at Deloitte. I, um, I like to think that I was on the fast track to partnership at Deloitte, et cetera. But I was confronted uh, one day with an opportunity back in 1995. And it was the, um, a, um, a small technology startup that I helped another guy acquire, asked me to join. And um, I had no interest in leaving Deloitte, et cetera. And this was at a point in time where technology, the internet, Netscape had just gone public with this massive <laughs> offering, et cetera. And now I'm confronted with this technology, this career option. And um, I wrestled with that decision at great length. And I... Um, and I made the decision to leave Deloitte and, and hop onto this startup. And this was a startup that this company had a concept of what today we refer to as IP telephony, voice over the internet. And, um, and to me, it was a game changer if you could actually deliver it. And um, I made the decision to make the jump. And what led me to making that decision was I could deal with failure because I... I was still single at the time. I could pick myself up, dust off. Uh, that usually is a learning opportunity and move on. But what I couldn't deal with would have been that I had an opportunity to be part of something that was an industry game changer. And I chose to sit on the sidelines. And I made the leap. So I made that jump in, um, at that point in time. So two years later, I ended up taking that company public. Um, so at the age of 31, I had taken my first company public. I had um, in I was involved in um, crazy amounts of technology deals with companies such as Cisco, Bay Networks, China Unicom, Fujitsu. So it rapidly put me into what I will call this um, player mode in the technology space. And with the public company side of the house, it was an accelerator that put me on the on the pace of where my career developed and such. So that would probably be the point that I would say that was an accelerator. Yeah, that uh, uh, our, our listeners know that my mentor Carl Swayzer uh, told me long ago, Andy, if you're not moving, you're standing still, and that sounds like you know one of those periods in your life where you could have stood still, you could have stayed where it was comfortable and reliable, but you chose a, you chose a different path, and it uh, and it really took you places. So thank thank you so much for sharing that. No, no, no problem. Yeah, so. Let's let's uh, let's dive in. Uh, you know, we're here to talk about changing attitudes uh, toward the world of work, uh, and this and this phrase, nobody wants to work anymore, where where folks just use that in a very uh, crass and callous way to describe some type of service failure inefficiency. What goes through your mind when you hear folks kind of toss that out? Did we all just get lazy over the pandemic and abandon our work ethic? Or is is there a change? Is there a shift? I um I don't believe people got lazy. 
I believe that the economic equation that played into the mix at the um, lower level jobs uh, played into it. And folks were making a trade-off between whether it was the federal or state incentives to help people navigate the pandemic, that folks were sitting back and saying, I can, quote, stay home, go fishing, do whatever here, or go to work. And I think a lot of people took the answer of option A because it was an easier one and the and the spread between the, quote, put in your 40 hours versus not was minimal. So I think a lot of people chose to sit it out and enjoy that. And that created what I would call the beginnings of this separation. I mean, people talk about the great resignation period and things on those lines. Uh, and there's some of that that exists. But I really think it was a hedge between um, incentives by the governments and what folks were earning from their employers that created a bigger dynamic and a, as a, and a disconnect between those two forces. So then what happens when, when you have that time to, uh, to, to, to really think about uh, your, your, uh, your relationship uh, with, with work? You know, from, from my chair, I was seeing a lot of folks saying, Gosh, I've been I've been really, you know, now that I have a chance to look at this, I've been really stuck in I've just been punching the clock and earning a salary and not doing something that's uh, that that's really fulfilling uh, to to me. Uh, so from, you know, your chair as president of uh, Holiday and Club Vacations, you know, you can see how those attitudes regarding work are shifting across a broad spectrum of employee types in the hospitality industry. So let's start at on the on the front lines uh, where where a lot of folks had you know were forced to take that time to really think. What are some of the root causes that are prompting individual contributors to question uh, their partace, participation, specifically in uh, hospitality, but then more broadly? Well, I think we have, we I think we have to go back to the very beginnings of when the pandemic hit. Everyone, and especially uh, in the hospitality space, I mean, what I would call the immediate reaction from everyone, even including myself, was basically to quickly uh, bat down the hatches. We uh, closed all of our resorts very quickly. We uh, No resort was open for about a two, two and a half month period of time. We furloughed a lot of individuals. And I think that became a um, an awakening to folks in regarding um, what does this mean for me? I never thought it, I mean, let's be fair, none of us have ever had a, uh, a business continuity plan that dealt with a pandemic. <laughs> you, yeah, you and I have created business continuity plans, but that, that was like so far down the list of what was- So far down the list. Yeah. So far down the list. And no one had that. So I think that, I think that first created this uh, awakening for folks. Then you insert what I would call, what we just discussed, the economic game in regarding the the, the, the hedge between government incentives and, and working for it. So I think it's starting to create a, a, uh, a shift in people's perspectives. Some people shifted from one industry to another industry, and I think it's different by layers or, or level is probably a better word. I think that when you get into what I'll call the, uh, the, the lower levels, those, um, those team members are focused more on the importance of putting bread on their family's table. And there, 
I will say there is not the level of loyalty to any company. It's more to the level of comfort in bringing home that weekly paycheck that puts food on the family's table. And in that situation there, I think you have one where folks will jump across the street for an extra 50 cents an hour, et cetera, because that means something to them. I think when you get into the higher you go up to it, it puts a higher perspective on individuals and their their needs on the companies they choose to work for, uh, whether it means they're joining new company or the companies they choose to stay. Because every day, individuals are making the decision about um, staying or going. It's a, it's a, so I continue to tell people in this world, never get content because you've got a level of retention you're focused on and a level of recruiting. And we have to understand that people are making that decision daily. They're looking for things that go beyond a paycheck. They're looking for the level of excitement in the work. Are we doing something to be a game changer or is it just in the, uh, the same old, same old? They're looking for a leadership team that they believe in. Folks want to be part of transformative, exciting things. And that is a, is a gravitational pull that brings people into those pieces. And if you start to lose those, then you start to get into this level of this commonality inside. So I think people have had a different perspective. I mean, if you deal with today's world, I mean, the, the remote workforce is getting a tremendous amount of attention um, with folks who are kind of saying that's part of my needs to, as, a, as, a, um, as, a, as an individual, as a worker. I want to be able to, quote, focus on my quality of life. I want to live anywhere and work. That's becoming more um, important for folks today uh, than it has in the past. So I think it's more along those lines, but folks want to be part of things that they believe. They want to be part of growth stories uh, and such. Yeah. So as a follow-up to that, how, how should industry leaders be thinking about how to attract and retain talent on the front lines, especially in hospitality in this in this new market for talent? And, you know, the sub-question here is, you know, the I agree with you that a, a lot, many of the front lines uh, previously were punching the clock, uh, working to uh, support uh, their their families. But has there even has there been a shift there uh, in in your experience uh, in terms of that attract and retain uh, equation? I would say there's been a shift in regards to as we continue to bring on what I'll call more of the front lines. It's not about the job. It's about the journey. It's about the career. It's about how their um, uh, their career will evolve. And for a lot of folks, it's really painting that picture and letting them see how they can go from here to here to here. Because a lot of folks um, looking in the rearview mirror have always assumed that I'm this is it. I might go from here to the manager, but there's not a lot. A lot of folks didn't see that opportunity. One of the things that we've been very successful at is really looking at our um, our teams and doing our levels of talent assessment and looking at folks who want to make those jumps. And we like to provide that, I like to call it the uh, those platforms and taking folks from one piece of the business, especially the folks at our resort who are inv- involved in all different facets of the customer experience uh, and such, and we love putting them into different roles because I believe that gives them a, a more well, um, rounded perspective of what our um, 
total resort teams are dealing with, what our customers are seeing, et cetera. So we have developed programs in our training teams. And I would say we're very focused on that. And we spend a lot of time um, continuing to paint that vision and, and sometimes really helping people to see um, the potential in themselves that they themselves don't see. And I think that is something that a lot of people are held back because they either it's um, insecurities or, or something. I think a lot of folks need that little gentle push with a support um, platform to show them how they can be successful. So I spend a tremendous amount of time out there in the field talking with our teams. Um, we um, have training sessions going uh, on around the country and really uh, exciting the teams in regarding how to navigate in an ever-changing environment. That's probably the one thing I tell everyone is that um, we're operating in a world that the only thing that is consistent is change. And you got to continue to be operating in a world that everything is changing and it's changing rapidly. And we're operating in a world where the consumer preference model has never been at a higher level of, of uh, importance to the customer. And they are dictating every facet of their uh, engagement with companies, how they want to be marketed to, how they want to be sold, how they want to be serviced. They're basically redefining the product. The product is no longer the widget. The product is the entire ecosystem in which consumers decide whether to engage with you or not. The consumers have control. The consumers have more choices today in every industry. I mean, we, take, we go back to our education space. The amount of options that exist in the education space is options for students to make. In my space and hospitality, pick any industry you want. The options are there. So the consumers in tort. So that level of engagement with the employees is huge. Yeah, I, I just love what you said uh, during during that explanation about how the, 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 the renewed emphasis on pathways from one job to the next. Uh, as I look back at my past 30 years uh, in, in business, we, we just... You know, so, some businesses do a really good job of this, but many just leave that journey up to the individual to, to figure out. And as a society in, in the United States, at least, I think we need to be much more purposeful and thoughtful about laying out those uh, those journeys and helping individuals, especially on the front lines to see what's next and and especially that uh, the, those uh, the, the, the skills that are necessary uh, to, to get there. Um, so you know as we continue to play this grand what I call this grand game of uh, musical chairs, you know the great reset, the great resignation, whatever whatever you call it, what are some of the top skills that you believe talent across all generations and all industries uh, need to acquire and hone to be successful, remain viable in the world of work? You know, the, um, probably the, this might surprise you with my first answer. Um, but it's more about mindset. Yeah. It's really, it's really creating and honing your mindset to think differently, embrace change because I find that change 
is the most difficult item for anyone to embrace. Mm-hmm. And what happens is most of the time, um, industries that have had great success, even the industries that are young, they become content and they start to question why change the model. So I, so to me, it has to be a mindset on how do you embrace change, change in your, in your, in, in your career, change in your preference models, change in everything that you are doing. Because I believe that if you don't embrace change, doesn't matter what skill set you have, you're going to struggle with how you implement that uh, and such. So, to me, I start with that one. Number one, yeah. Number two, and and, and John, that's not a that 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 just plays. You didn't know this before the show, but it just plays right into the arc of a lot of stuff that uh, that I'm writing about, and you know, changes at the top of the list. So, sorry for the interruption. Go ahead to number two. Oh no no no, because I. Cause I Talk to folks internally who, who, who've been with me for quite some time. I'm very fortunate. I've got folks on my team that have been with me and have followed me uh, many times. And they've heard me say this for the last decade, the importance of change. I mean, matter of fact, I will even say that um, a lot of companies like to refer to themselves as pro-activists um, in change, but they don't realize they're not changing. Right. They fool themselves into this change mode. And that's because they're busy. They're very busy and it looks like change, but all they're doing is taking what might've been a manual process and digitized it, but it's still the same process. Right. From the consumer, it's the same process. I remember back in my uh, aviation days, early on, in the first two years when we were still in the, I'll call it the conceptual stage of developing this new type of airline, air service, if you had aviation experience, we would not hire you. It automatically disqualified you from joining the team because we didn't want to bring the traditional aviation uh, to the table, the biases to the table and such. And I say that from the point that one of the things I encourage everyone, and I, and I, and I mentor a lot of uh, folks in different industries, one of the things I tell them, recruit people from outside your industry. I don't care what you bring in that and allow that level of change um, uh, vision, that thought that allow people to challenge. Why do we do it this way? Why does it have to be done this way? You know, at, in, um, at Holiday Inn, we have um, a pretty big initiative on our digital transformation, on our um, innovation side of the house. And someone said to me one day, they said, so who exactly is responsible for innovation? And I said, everyone. And the person said back to me, he said, he says, but I, um, I don't have any experience in innovation. I said, you do. You just don't realize it. Again, that kind of goes back to what I'm calling that. You asked about the, the critical skills. Yeah. For me, it falls under an innovation slash questioning mindset. But I think we also, I'll, add, I'll give you a third one, Andy, and it deals with um, technology. And I'm not talking about any specific piece of technology, but we have to accept that technology, digital engagement cuts through everything in our life. I don't care. There's not a single role in my company that does not have a technology interface in some shape, form, or fashion. So you gotta you gotta come to the table these days with a level of just being comfortable 
with technology. That doesn't mean you have to code, but that means that you may be able just how do you engage with a with a, a tablet or a computer, et cetera. You and I used to work with an individual who used to pride himself on never having an ATM card. To him, that was too technology advanced for him. He was old-fashioned. He liked to go to the bank to get his money. That mindset doesn't work in the in the world we're in. You got to be technology savvy. Yeah. Um, all your uh, my kids are younger than yours, but all of my kids they've grown up in a digital age, and those are the kids that are developing all of the interfaces that we all engage with. So the technology is important um, in everything that we're doing. I, I can go deep. Those are the things that come to mind quickly. Sure. Uh, so focusing on the hospitality industry specifically, if if uh, if somebody is in hospitality listening to this and is either on the front lines or early in their career, what's uh, other than working with change and, and, and technology and mindset, what's that future facing skill that you would tell them you got to have X? You have to be engaging. You have to develop your social skills. If you're in hospitality, um, the odds are very high that you're engaging with the customer at some point. If you have a resort, you're engaging with them on the front lines. If you're uh, a corporate and you're in marketing, you're engaging with them digitally through the marketing. If you're in our services side, you're engaging with them on the phones. So you've got to be able to develop those social skills to focus there. And you have to totally embrace the importance of the customer. So you hear lots of companies talk about customer obsession and customer this. It's not a buzzword. You have to believe it. And, and you have to have the right support structure in order to be empowered to deal with that. And sometimes it's a challenge because you're you're, um, you're hindered by limitations. I can tell you, I'm a huge, and you know this, I'm a huge proponent of the importance of the customer. To me, if you're in hospitality, you've got to focus on the customer. You've got to recognize the experience is important to the customer. And you've got to realize the product is more than, quote, the room. Yeah. The entire engagement model is the product. Right. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was going to ask you a, a, a knock on question about individuals considering a career change and what they should be thinking about, but I, I just think we that that laser focus on the customer that apply that's going to apply to everybody, not just in the hospitality industry, but 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 across the board. So, uh, John, any any uh, any final words of advice uh, for for our listeners today? You know, I would say um, you opened up with in regarding um, are folks lazy, do folks want to work, et cetera. I would say this. The opportunities for everyone is tremendous. The opportunities for jumping industries, jumping sectors have never been greater. Um, so I would say that the, the old days of folks staying with companies 30 years are gone. You have to embrace this level of, um, um, I'll, I'll call it currency, in different experiences. So I would say you shouldn't be bashful. And I don't care whether you're early in your career or late in your career. 
you have a significant amount of experience that you've compiled that applies to multiple industries. It's not just valuable because you've been in one industry for 20 years. At the end of the day, it still comes down to people, process, technology, customers. I don't care what industry you're in. And if you kind of go at it from that mindset and you have the um, courage to step out there and to embrace something new or to stay within your current industry, uh, the opportunities out there. We have more opportunity ahead of us than we have, even with all the noise and the realities that we're probably entering a recession. The opportunities will still be out there, but folks maybe find themselves even more insecure in making a move and they will blame the economy and not being risky, et cetera. But um, we live in a great country with great opportunities and it's up to each individual to choose their path, but don't be shy. Yeah. That'd be my advice. Thanks so much for that. Self-love, self-confidence, get out there. As Carl Swayzer said, keep keep moving and, uh, you know, good, good things are going to happen. So, John, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, I, I'm Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. Please press the like button, the, sub- the subscribe button. Uh, please rate us. You can find us on all the major podcasting apps. You can find the show and the Saturday Morning Muse at, uh, at andrewtempty.com, uh, as well as my book, Balancing Act. Uh, so, Uh, John, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy.